Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Evan Mawariri, a Zimbabwean clergyman and activist. Pastor Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Emma, for having me with you today. It's a real, real honor. So Evan, you were born and bred in Zimbabwe. And you must have been interested in politics from a very young age, as I know that you were elected child president of Zimbabwe. How did that happen? Well, the story is actually um, quite an interesting one and bears resemblance to many bits of my stories later on in life in that I stumbled into it. And um, we, I was part of a, of a high school that participated in the children's parliament. So every year, Zimbabwe celebrates Day of the African Child, which is on uh, June 16th uh, every year. And it's a day that was agreed upon by the then Organization of African Union, which is now the uh, African Union. Uh, it's a day that they set aside to remember young people who were killed whilst protesting in South Africa during the apartheid era. So Zimbabwe celebrates this day by hosting a children's parliament and my, the school I was going to at the time decided that they would participate. And uh, I was chosen to go there and represent my school uh, as, a, uh, you know, as a participant. And uh, one thing led to another and I, became, uh, you know, I was elected as a, as a child parliamentarian. And in that process, which was a surprise to me anyway, that they had chosen me as a, uh, a child parliamentarian or a junior parliamentarian, uh, that process also then leads to the selection of a child president or junior president or the speaker of the house and cabinet ministers. And it's based on your grasp of the issues in your community. It's based on how you understand those issues in your community and what solutions you think should be brought to the table to address those issues. So I gave a speech, uh, I remember I was 16 years old, and I gave a speech that spoke about poverty. It spoke about how uh, poverty could be addressed and how governments needed to be a lot more in touch with people and to understand what people were going through and to allow people to craft their own problems. I remember one of the lines I had in there was that you would be surprised how people experiencing problems sometimes also have the own, uh, their own solutions to their own problems. And somehow that, that kind of worked out uh, in terms of the adjudicators. And before I knew it, I was uh, elected as the child president of the Republic of Zimbabwe in 1993. So for a whole year, I held that office. And uh, the real president of Zimbabwe at that time was none other than Robert Gabriel Mugabe himself. And it's always struck me as being really, really strange how 23 years later, I would literally come face-to-face, head-on with that man in a real-life situation of speaking truth to power. But that's how that journey began. That's, that's really fascinating. Now, I know that you also established your own church, His Generation Church in Harare. So what is it that led you into the church? When I left school, um, Emma, I went into the corporate world, straight into the corporate world. Um, uh, and part of it, the reason is because my family was not uh, a very rich family. My dad had uh, saved up enough money to make sure that we got a good basic education, and he did that. And as soon as I was done with my high schooling, um, the, the, the offer from my dad was to either go into uh, uh, university or go into the working world. And his preference was to go into the working world because I had brothers and sisters behind me. 
So I went straight into the working world and I entered that through uh, the uh, uh, career of marketing and advertising. I enjoyed it so much. I loved it. But I always had the sense that there was so much more that one could do with their life. And because I came from a Christian home, that for me felt like the route to take in terms of helping people figure out how to live their best life, helping people how to figure out how to exist in a world with other people, how to be helpers of other people in particular. So I left my corporate job after a couple of years. My dad wasn't very impressed, even though he was a Christian himself. Uh, and I left my, my day job and joined the church and became a youth pastor in the church uh, that, uh, you know, that I, had, I had joined and took on a full-time role. And it was such a fulfilling experience, just watching young people come to a place of wanting to do better, uh, watching young people turn their lives around, stay from a life of uh, drugs and violence, and come to a place where they say, I want to do something else. I want to do something more meaningful with my life. Watching young people that were doing horribly in their school grades and through the mentorship we gave them and the teachings from the Bible, watching them turn their lives around really, really impacted. And so many years later, after being a youth pastor, I felt that I, we wanted to plant our own church. We, I had then pastored a church in London uh, on behalf of this other church that I was a part of. And at the end of that tour of duty, I felt it was time for us to plant our own church in Harare. So we packed up our bags in England and came back to Harare with my wife. Uh, and we started off his generation church in Harare, Zimbabwe. Again, another a exciting and fulfilling phase of my life because we got a chance to watch families turn their lives around. We got a chance to watch young individuals become community changers or, or become, become impactors of communities through the teachings that we gave. So you went on to establish a democracy movement and you got into all sorts of trouble with the government. So how did that happen? It, this, it, it, it really does sound like a, like a, like a horrible movie that's, that has becoming worse and worse, doesn't it? But whilst I was pastoring his generation church, um, uh, my passion really had continued from my days of being a youth pastor, had continued in wanting to help people, to help young people. And the reason we came back to Zimbabwe from, from England was that we felt Zimbabwe needed our help. And so when we coupled the sense that Zimbabwe needed our help and our love for helping particularly young people, it was easy for me to begin to connect the issues of the day in our country with the message of the gospel that I was preaching. Uh, because the values of Christianity for me connect very much with, uh, uh, you know, being, being a, a nation builder, so the values of justice, the values of compassion, the values of mercy and transparency and good leadership, servant leadership in particular. So I, I felt at a particular point uh, in 2016, as I sat in my office, that there was a missing voice that needed to be present to challenge what was happening in Zimbabwe. We had come through a horrible, horrible um, economic collapse in 2008, where Zimbabwe ended up with a $100 trillion note. And at the height of this record-breaking inflation where people lost everything, my own parents were pensioners at the time and lost everything that they had worked for and put aside. And so 
in 2016, my sense as I watched the economy begin to plummet again, my sense was that we were going back to 2008. We were going back to that mess. And so I sat in my office and thought about how my grandfather, who had fought in the liberation struggle, had nothing to show by the time he died. He had nothing to show for the life he had lived as a Zimbabwean by the time he died. My father, who had also helped in the liberation struggle, by the time that he had retired, had lost everything. Here I am as well, beginning to lose everything. I had two children, and I was about to watch them lose everything. And I think it's something in me refused to watch a fourth generation lose opportunities, lose dreams, lose dignity to be a, a dignified Zimbabwean. And I was not comfortable to see that happen. So I took my phone and I recorded a short video, a four minute video in which I ranted about how bad things were in Zimbabwe. But within that video, I also spoke about how it was time for Zimbabweans to stand up, how it was time for Zimbabweans to show up for their struggle, to speak up and not be absent. The reason Zimbabweans hadn't spoken up at this time, Emma, is a, is, a, is a very important reason to understand. It was fear. Robert Mugabe, up until this time, had, had, had instilled a kind of fear in Zimbabweans that made sure that nobody ever challenged him. Since 1980, when Zimbabwe got independence, all the way through to 2016 or 17, before he was ousted, 37 years of him being in power, Robert Mugabe had killed, had murdered, had brutalized so many thousands of people. And so people always knew that you don't do this. But I think at this point, I felt like I, there was nothing else to lose. I had already lost everything. And I was now failing to feed my family. And so I spoke in this video about how the flag of Zimbabwe was a promise to every Zimbabwean for a better future, for a, an opportunity to live in a country where you could be proud to live in that country. And as I did this, as I challenged my countrymen to stand up and to speak up, this video went viral. I hadn't intended on this because I was a pastor, remember? And I needed to stay pastoring my church. But this video went viral and people began to talk about this new voice that had stood up, this nobody that no one knew. Nobody knew if I was a politician, if I was a business person, if I was from civic society. But people began to see that it was an ordinary person. And so many people began to join this movement. I did more and more videos. And before you knew it, we had hashtag this flag citizens movement born, which spoke truth to power, which challenged Robert Mugabe on his governance, which challenged his entire government on misgovernance, on the issues of injustice and brutality. Needless to say, that led us into prison many times. We were arrested, beaten, and tortured for organizing protests that spoke truth to power, for conscientizing the ordinary person that they needn't be afraid, that they've got to stand up and speak up. So that's how that journey began. And, and, and I think it's, when I look back, it, it is probably one of those things that, um, although I didn't see coming, when I think about my passion for justice, for peace, for compassion, for transparency, it was, it was unavoidable. I was always going to run into something like this, where I'm involved in trying to help our, you know, our nation become a better nation. Well, many people say you should keep politics and religion separate. Yet for you, religion and politics seem to be two constants now in your life, which are constantly entwined. Do you think that's a problem? I think that it is a misunderstanding of 
the place of the church or the gospel in today's society. We live in societies that are ridden with high levels of immorality, with high levels of injustice and brutality. It is the church that has got or that occupies the moral office or the moral has the moral voice to stand up and say this is not right, to stand up and challenge leaders, political leaders, economic or business leaders, community leaders, and say we need to do better and say we need to understand that humanity needs us to lead better. This, for me, this is the job that the church has. And when I look through the Bible and I look through the Gospels, this is what I see the Christians of the day doing. This is what I see the church leaders of that day doing. They challenged the wrongness of leadership. They promoted the compassion. They promoted justice and, 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 and the well-being of orphans and widows. And, and this, is, this is the work that the church has in a political environment. So I don't see a division. I see an, an opportunity, a place uh, for the church to participate and to be relevant and to add value and to help societies become better. Well, you have been arrested, you have been tortured, while you were being held in jail. This must have really tested your faith. Did you ever any stage think Zimbabwe is not worth it or your life, this is not how you want to spend your life being in jail? Oh, many times, many times, Emma. I. My faith is the reason for having started the journey. It is, the, it is also the reason uh, of how I survived it. But there were many moments that I sat in prison with many men and saw how brutal it was and came to the end of my own road. I'll never forget the one experience that I had in Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison after I had been jailed for organizing a protest. And the protests we organized, by the way, Emma, were not on the street protests. In Zimbabwe, it was and remains illegal today to protest on the street. So what we did is that we organized a national boycott where instead of people going on the streets to picket we ask people to stay at home. We ask people not to take their children to school, not to open their businesses, not to go to work, and shut the country down, essentially, as a way of speaking truth to power. And I guess this uh, threatened the government when they saw how many people responded to our call. And I was arrested and I was charged with attempting to overthrow the government, which is far from what I was trying to do. But because of the weightiness of that charge, which carries a 20-year jail term if you are found guilty, because of that charge, I was thrown into Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison, uh, which is the most secure prison in, uh, in Zimbabwe. The conditions for me to say horrendous is, is an understatement. They are unbearable. They, they are no, there's no running water. The, 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 what you have for a toilet is a hole in the corner of the cell. Uh, the blankets haven't been washed for many months. The clothes that you're given to wear, I remember my set of clothes that I was given to wear in the, in the collar and within the hems uh, of the sleeves of the clothes, there would be lice eggs in there that you could see and you had to burn those off with a candle, first of all, before you put them on. Uh, uh, the food, when it came, was in huge bins uh, and, and, and sometimes it was cold, sometimes it had dead flies in it. And, and that, that, was just, that was just the life. We, we had so many... Uh, abusive moments 
whilst we were in there. And yes, there were moments I sat down in, in the corner of the cell or as I covered myself in the middle of winter with a stinking blanket and asked God why. Why am I here? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Why do I have to suffer this for what I believe is something good? And there were moments I wished I could leave because my family was also threatened. And I was away from my family for a long time after we moved them to a place of safety. Did not see my children for years. Did not see my wife for years. There were times I wanted to quit. But it was the experiences that I had in those prisons with inmates with men who had been locked up for years, with men who were serving life sentences or who were on death row, who told me, who said to me, we cannot be out there doing what you do. So our job to make sure that you succeed to help our families who are still out there is to make sure that whilst you are in here, you are safe, you are strengthened, and that you are stronger when you leave than when you came in. That though, that moment with this one prisoner who said that to me changed my perspective. I'll never forget how I broke down and cried. Even now I feel the same sense of, of, of just realizing how lucky I still was compared to other people who have it worse than I did and how important the role that I was playing was for them and for other people as well. Evan, why do you love Zimbabwe so much? And what's, what's your hope for the future of the country? Emma, every woman and man is born in a country. They essentially, by birth, are assigned the land of their birth, where they call home. In Africa, we speak of the land of our forefathers, or we speak of uh, we speak of the, of the land that holds our umbilical cord. Zimbabwe is that for me, in as much as America is that for other people, in as much as uh, uh, Australia is that for someone else. Zimbabwe is that place for me. It is the one place where I do not need permission from anyone to be there. It is home. It's where I belong. It is a place in which I am able to craft my own destiny. It's a place where I'm supposed to feel the safest, where I'm supposed to be able to dream without, without, without boundaries and, and succeed. And so the reason I love Zimbabwe is so that it can be a place where any Zimbabwean and other people who choose to make it home can live freely. It's a wonderful country. It's a beautiful country full of so many talented people who, 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 who do amazing things in the world as not know about them. And that's why I love Zimbabwe, that those people who live there, myself, my children, have a place where they can flourish, have a place that they can be proud of and call, and call home. And so when you then ask the question, what dream do you have for Zimbabwe? I dream of a Zimbabwe that that respects its own citizens. A place that allows its own people to be included in building their own nation. A place where the talents of our young people can flourish. Zimbabwe right now is facing an unemployment rate of 95%. My dream is to see every young person in Zimbabwe not just employed, but able to start their own 
business, uh, able to employ other people, able to export what it is that they make and what it is that they do. Zimbabwe can do that. My dream is that Zimbabwe becomes a place where every Zimbabwean around the world longs to go back to and live their life there. That's my dream for Zimbabwe. Well, during your time with us at Yale, we've been discussing a lot about leadership for the good society. What kind of life is worthy of our humanity? What is a life worth living? I have long held the belief, which has become even more pronounced in the last four years of my life as I have walked this particular journey, which has been difficult, but has been rewarding in many ways too. I've long held the belief that a life that is lived for the benefit of other people is a life that has been able to be utilized to the best of its ability. No matter what we do, my belief is that every person should strive for a portion of their lives, if not all their lives, to help other people. This is why we have the opportunities we have. This is why we have the resources that we have. Not so that we can spend it entirely on ourselves, but so that we can be channels of help. We can be channels of, of support for those who do not have as much as we do. And so for me, that's, that's the goal of life. How can I spend it for the benefit of other people? How can I spend it so that other people more than myself also experience a better life, also have hope for their own life? And more than that, that those people can also learn how to give hope to other people and to help other people, in a sense, to pay it forward. Evan, when I hear you speak, you are so inspiring. And you remind me of the words of John Lewis, the American civil rights campaigner, who said, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Evan, continue to get into good trouble, necessary trouble. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you.